Hi, and welcome back to the Digital Transformationists podcast. And on today's episode, we have the phenomenal Keb Mo with us to talk about the power of music and its ability to drive positive change and connection. Today's episode is brought to you by Mercado. So welcome, Kebmo. Uh, we're delighted to have you. It's, it's a real honor and a privilege to have a legend like you join us. Obviously, you know, Garrett, you guys go back and have some history. Uh, thanks yeah. for joining us on this podcast. Yeah, Garrett, he's my, he's my brother. <laughs> my twin brother. <laughs> uh, an American uh, original. That's right. <laughs> There's only one G-Love. <laughs> That's what Kev called me uh, the first time we met. He goes, gee, love, an American original. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, Kev, it's great to see you, and it's it's great to, to uh, also see uh, see in the background a studio where I was so lucky to be invited to uh, join you for many sessions over the past couple Man, of years. That was, that was a highlight of last year. I mean, that was just, oh. I tell you, that was so much fun. Man, I, I learned um, so much from working with you and, uh, you know, so much about music and, and so much about the history of the blues, uh, so much about uh, recording, songwriting. And um, yeah, it was, I, I always say it was a master class of music. So thank you. Oh, man, thank you. I'm, 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 I've been itching to work with you for years. I never got the Nobody ever, nobody would let us. I don't have any, I, I got in the world, I got no producer credit. When you get mold, she worked with you and they go like, who? Uh, so how'd you make that kids? connection? <laughs> so how did you make that connection? How do we make the connection to making the record? Yeah. G called me and said, hey, man, let's let's work. Let's let's do a record. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean my glass. He said, and I was like, okay, yeah. I've only, been waiting about, I've only been waiting about 25 years. Well, I mean, I mean, we could just talk briefly about it, but it's, it's, it, it's a good story because, uh, and I've talked about it a lot this year because I, I called Kev and I said, hey, uh, Kev, would you, because we did a tour together, and then I said, hey, Kev, would you want to do a duet record? He said, gee, I already did my duet record with Taj Mahal. Said, oh, man. <laughs> but, but, but he said, uh, you know, how about you come down here and and uh, I love to produce uh, some tracks for you, which led to the record. And so Kev said, send me, and this is the first lesson, send me five songs of your most sincere songs that you feel most connected to. And mm. I thought, well, I hope I feel connected and sincere about all my songs. So I sent him five songs and then a week went by i didn't hear anything and then the second week went by and i didn't hear anything so i said oh shoot i guess we're called kev <laughs> kev did you get the songs he just sent back yep and i'm like oh man right. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, kev. well uh well what did you what did you think he and kev writes back i think you better I think you better work with a songwriter. So that was how the session started. And, <laughs> and it ended up with some of the greatest songs that I've ever recorded. So I was yeah. happy. Um, Just to be on, clear on, 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 on the record, about the record, you don't need to work with a songwriter. You're a great songwriter. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> you're brilliant, man. man. And I think, I think that one song on that record, man, they're all great, but it's my, one of my favorite ones, the one I had nothing to do with. She's the rock. 
I love that. That's a <laughs> yeah. Masterpiece. So good. Oh, thank it's you. Masterpiece, you know? um, well, hey, man, um, I was thinking we could kind of start with um, going back to 1993 when we first met. And uh, it's an interesting part of um, your story and my story. And in 1993, you and I both signed to the same A&R guy. Yeah. Cigar smoking, um, <laughs> New Jewish New York music. And if you couldn't imagine a more music industry guy like out of the playbook, and his name was uh, Michael Kaplan. And can you just kind of tell us about um, how that you connected with Kaplan, how he discovered you, how he heard your music? And kind of, um, I think you had told me before that whole meeting, you were kind of like taking, this was like the last stab, or you felt like it might have been the last stab in the music industry. Well, I had my last stab in the music industry way before I even met Michael Kaplan. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this was called a desperate, <laughs> not, it wasn't desperate at this point. At this point, it was just, I love playing music. I'm going to keep playing in hell or high water, you know? And so... Um, I met John Porter, you know, through, through, actually through Taj, you know, Taj Mahal. And um, uh, he shopped a record deal for me, you know, and everybody said no, because I was, I was old, I was 41 years old, but no one knew it. <laughs> I was 41 and it was like, what, this dude? And um, it was, it was the, the uh, but Michael told me this later, he said, you know, we had passed first, you know, we passed on you. Then uh, someone came and said, let's start the OK label back up. Let's do that. Do some blues. And they had a bunch of cassettes on the shelf. You know, they said, well, let's see what we got. What do you got? So, so this was pulling this cassette on the shelf. OK, that's good. Sign that. Sign that. Sign that. I ended up in the parlor. Let's sign that. Oh, wow. <laughs> 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 then already said no. Everybody had said no. Wow. But for me... I was I was in a mode of, okay, I'm, I was playing the clubs in LA. I'm just gonna, and I had made my own demo, which is my demo tape, was my release, my self-release of Kevin Moore, AKA Kev Mo, on a cassette. <laughs> and and so I was selling those and that was my demo tape to get in the door at Sony. But, you know, I had decided, okay, I'm gonna try another stab at the music industry. After my big failed record on, uh, Chocolate City Records of Casablanca in 1980. Big flop, you know? <laughs> and, so, and so I said, well, I don't want to hear a no. I know everybody's going to say no. Because why would they say yes to me? <laughs> so I said yes to myself. Right. And I really didn't want to go to record companies because I know they're going to say no. And I didn't want to hear no. I don't want to hear, I only wanted to hear yes. <laughs> and the one person that's giving me a yes was me. So wow. I gave myself a yes. And that yes went out to the universe and came bounce, boom, ram, back around in a mysterious way through Michael Kaplan, and I got my yes. Wow. And when the, when the call came, I just laughed. I was on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I got the phone. I was laughing. I'm like, <laughs> time to have some fun. Let's have some fun. It's going to flop, you know. <laughs> make another record, you know, because they all flop. <laughs> you know, so I just had fun with it, and it didn't flop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so what was what was the first record and then what was that record already 
record it in a can when you got signed and then you just put it out? Or did you go back in the studio then? Well, I went back, I had a demo. I had, I had Once I had the first song every morning, I had that one recorded and I had about eight songs on this cassette tape. Some were done in various forms and various kind of ways, but kind of piecemeal together. Hmm. And um, so I went back in and we re-recorded those songs that were on that on that tape and added some more. Wow. So uh, you, know, you mentioned uh, you had this on a cassette tape. You know, a lot of what we're talking about uh, is this technology and the digital transformation. Um, how, how has the technology and digital transformation changed in music and how have you kept up and adapted? And wait, uh, let, first, let me let me interject one thing in yeah, there. Did yeah. you ever, was, was were any of your records ever, I know they were released on cassette, CD, vinyl. Did you ever have something released on 8-track? 8-track? <laughs> Never had anything. I was, unfortunately, I, I wish I had something on 8-track. <laughs> yeah, that was the deal. I listened to a lot of 8-tracks, though. Yeah, lots of 8-tracks. Hmm. But, yeah. but over your career, you know, things have advanced a lot. And I know, you know, Garrett mentioned to me that uh, you're quite technical in the studio and also, you know, very you've adapted really well on the technology front. So what have you done there? Well, I'm technical to a degree because I have to have enough, um, I have enough technical skills to get what I need done. Okay. To get the stuff far enough along because sometimes the engineer is in my way of my creative process. Yeah. You know, so I can sit there and go, bing, 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 and just like you know, without going like, okay, do this, do that. I just do it, you know. And when I need to, when I need a skill for myself, I learn that. I still have a lot of holes in my technical thing, but I know I intuitively know the ones that I need. Okay. To get the job done. Gotcha. You know? And what kind of resources do you use to learn these things? To learn. Yeah, you, you go on YouTube or something, or what, what are you doing? No, the first time out, when, when Pro Tools started <laughs> becoming popular in 1999, I think it was, 99, okay. around in there, uh, I had a uh, uh, an Atari computer, and I had a Cubase sequencing program on it. It didn't do any audio, it just did sequencing. Okay. And I had that, so I knew I had to go... Digital. It was the last. I mean, I, I, that that Atari was like it was ancient in '99. <laughs> <laughs> but I was still using it because uh, I was like, well, I, I got to use it. So I went and bought one of those rolling eight-track uh, boxes, you know, and it sunk up with the Atari. So now I had digital wow. eight-track and digital where I can record on. It sunk up with the Atari. So I've been I've been kind of technical since the '80s. So really. cool. Yeah, you know. So with drum machines and sequencers and, you know, all kind of MIDI cables all over the place recording <laughs> stuff. And uh, so I got all that stuff. And when Pro Tools came and said, okay, this is, this is a bigger learning curve. This is more expensive. This is the way everything's going. And I made the, the choice to go in and Pro Tools. Now, by this time, like, I got it. I'm on, still on Sony. I'm three years in, you know, four years in on the Sony deal. G-Love's doing good, you know. We were all out there playing. G G G loves dressing way better than I was, but you know, <laughs> his suits were epic. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you know, so I, I took twenty grand and bought a computer, some monitors, a couple of mic pre's, speakers, the lowest level of protein, but everything all in. You know, um, it cost me about twenty thousand dollars to get started. So, and I had a teacher. 
I had a teacher named Mark Johnson, who was my engineer. He taught me. And another teacher I hired, I gave him some money to be on call for a month. I said, anytime I call you in a month, and I wrote him a check. Uh-huh. I'm going to call you, and you come up. And when I need you, you come over. You know, okay. it was a good, it was a good check. I, I paid him too much, <laughs> <laughs> but I want, I wanted him to. I, I understood how important what is was it for me to learn, and then when I called him, I wanted him to have his ass over there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the spot. So I wrote him a big check, <laughs> and it worked, and it paid off. It was a small price to pay for what was to come in terms of technology and what I would need to go forth forward with yeah. stuff. But a so continued investment I, in you, yeah. So and so in Sony, each time I got a record a record budget, I bought a little piece of gear. So all that stuff over there, every time I got a a little extra money of the record deal, I'd buy some. I buy a mic, I buy some gear, or I'd like you know just keep going to the point where when the music business went in the toilet and it was in the studios and all that stuff became really expensive. By that time, I had my studio going, you know. Wow. So I was kind of planning for my my future, so to speak, you know, because I wanted to stay in. Once I got, if I, once I got in because of Michael Kaplan, who let G G Love and both of us in the door, and there's only one guy that would have let either of us in the door. That was <laughs> Kaplan. <laughs> I guarantee you, nobody was looking. I can't speak for maybe G. They looking for G, but they were not looking for me. <laughs> wow. But I got lucky with the boomerang effect in the universe that came around and. And and I and I and I'm I remain forever grateful for Michael and the opportunity to be here to do this. Yeah, we could have went the other way. Sure. Yeah. Now I'm I'm a big fan. I'm a big believer. Also, you know, throw it out in the universe and you know let it listen and it'll it'll come together for sure. Yeah, leave it alone. So cool. Don't try to don't try to get in there and try to think you know anything. Just <laughs> all metaphysical mind, you know, Jedi mind trick they call it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and you, don't have, and you don't have to be a Jedi to use the Jedi mind trick. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I think about the blues um, and the recordings, uh, and I think a lot of people are, are like this, you know, when we listen back to Muddy Waters recording or old Robert Johnson recording, or Big Bill Brunsey, they're all <laughs> scra- scratchy records. Yeah. And it's an old recorded sound and it has this, this real raw you know, thing to it and, um, and kind of, you know, I've always kind of tried to, I've always liked my recordings to be like really raw and try to kind of capture that scratchy old vinyl thing. And you said to me, you said, Hey, gee, you know, I know that you like that old kind of trash can sound, but when, 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 well, I'll, I'll let you say, so what's your approach to, um, making blues records today and especially on a sonic side of things? Well, I think the old records, starting with the records, old scratchy records from Charlie Patton and up into Muddy Waters, technology kept getting better and better. And if Charlie Patton could have recorded, you know, on some clean, analog, beautiful sound and stuff, he probably would have. Right. You know, I think the scratchiness is, 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 is great because that's what was going on at the time. You know, it was real to the time. You know, it's like when you wear clothes, like, you know, certain suits, you know, you put the suit on, you're like, oh, that's the 40s. Right. Oh, that's the '50s. This is the, you know. Then there's the, then there's the '80s with the big, you know, shoulder pads. And, <laughs> and, like, it's true to what's going on in the time, and 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 it's like so. To try to imitate that now is kind of to me. It's kind of, I would call it, not genuine. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Now, if you're doing it for a movie to mimic a piece, you know, to like mimic a you know, certain time period, okay. But I mean, I don't know why I do that. I, I want that clean. And plus people are used to listening to like pop records. I listen to pop records. I don't listen to like, but you know, I listen to, I, 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 want, I want to hear, I want to hear that big old like walking, you know, that people, people want to hear. You know, especially like those, and and I think the late seventies, eighties, when tape and people still had records and needles and big stereos. That's what I want to hear. That's the sound in my head. Hmm. Drop it on a needle and go whoa. But now today is it's this earbuds. You know, no hmm. one's really going to come on, man. Come on, man. G, let's listen to the latest G Love record on my new stereo. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, man? I hope so, man. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you can. You want to be able to do that. Right. But people aren't doing that. I don't think, you know, they're not really doing that. So uh, I think, I think, I think basically what I'm, what I'm saying is that being true to yourself, true to the time, true to your heart, and the truth will set you free. Because hmm. you know, the people out there know, they kind of know. You know, that old scratchy record thing. Not many people can really listen to it. It's like only like crazy people like us that even can even listen to them old records. Right. <laughs> you know, but your average Joe doesn't want to hear that. <laughs> That's wrong with it. It's all messed up. <laughs> I can't hear the words. The faces. <laughs> but we're listening for something else. We're listening for that raw thing. Like when you listen to Charlie Patton and he's like, you hear, but you gotta you gotta listen through the through the mud and the crust to get it, you know. So you get that, then you put it big hi-fi, then you put the big mics and the big pre-round and stuff, and still make it raw. It's always gonna be raw, you know. It's raw is all right. I like raw, but I think the performance is where the raw is where the truth is. Right. And however you get it, you know, whatever you got, if all you have is a computer, like my son. He's a hip hop artist, not hip hop. He, he would kill me if I said hip hop artist. He's a music, you know, more today. He lives in LA. He's got a laptop. He got a laptop and samples and two speakers. He's, and he's a drummer and he can he can play whack drums for days. Wow. But he's using what he, what his, you know, generation uses. Yeah. These what they have. All you need is a laptop. The samples are so good. Look at Billy Eilish, you know, and her brother doing those records in there. We did it in our bedroom. Hmm. They probably yeah. did it in their bedroom, but I'm sure they took that stuff out somewhere and mixed it to like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah mm. it's it's you know to that point. It was um, when when we came down and worked on my last record, The Juice, mm. uh, which Kev produced. Um, to me, it was a really interesting process. Though we started getting into the writing and the recording, um, and I felt like, wow, we're making a hip hop record. Basically, the goal is to make a contemporary blues record, but the the process was felt more like making a hip hop record. Yeah, it's making a record. I'm gonna tell you a story about like I've been stalking your ass ever since I met you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly clear, <laughs> you know, because I I just always you know your vibe is so thick and groovy and so like you know hip. And the first time I heard your record, your first record was a live record, you know. It's a live record done. You just did it right. So you were 19 years old. So I did the I did, I did the math on you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, mean, I got my little pad. I said, "Okay, G Love, 19 years old." Oh wow! Play guitar. Let's see. He's uh, probably never been in a studio before. 
got this sure. rap and they caught they caught them you, they caught you in your elements like they photographed you in your in the jungle in your live environment which was live on stage so when it came time to making another record you know how do you get that again you know now they go okay now let's go in the studio and make another record no you don't do that with G Love you know <laughs> you know mm. you have to go because I've, I've I've been in the record record with you and I know when you got in the, in the studio with the record being like the 21, 22 year old G Love, didn't really fully understand that concept, you know. Yet there's all this brilliant material coming out of out of you. I, on the other hand, was born in LA, you know, and was been going in the studio since I was 14 years old hmm. in one stage or another, learning how to make records. So the whole time from 14 to 40, I was making records. Wow. You know, hmm. in some shape or another, going to do, going going up that thing. So, so I know, the, kind of like the process of a lot of stuff because I'm just I've done it so much, and uh, like Kaplan when 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 he when he, they thought I was green when they signed me. Hmm. You know, I was far from green. <laughs> you know, you've been there, you've done that. Yeah. <laughs> way I mean, way far from green. Yeah. You know, but you know, I went in and and um, so. I know at some point, you know what I mean? And then I watched you grow and watched how you just along the way doing stuff. And I watched what was going on and I watched what maybe could be better, you know, something like that. And I was just sitting back like this. One day, G-Love's gonna call, we gonna do a record. <laughs> I couldn't call you and say do a record because that'd be like more like, that's kind of like badgering you, you know? But the boomerang again came around, you know what I mean? And we got to do the record at the right time and it all came together. And it's just a thing of beauty. I think it's just something. And you're, and you're to your credit, you're still young, <laughs> you know. Well, you know? well, uh, on that point, um, Kev and I called Michael Kaplan when we were in the studio. We Facetimed Michael, and I hadn't seen, you know, or heard from Michael honestly since the day we got dropped in October something two thousand and one. <laughs> oh wow! Um, and uh, Michael said. We said, hey, Mike, what's up? And Michael goes, who's that next to you, Kev? And I was like, really, Mike? You don't recognize me? And he didn't. He had no he had no freaking idea who I was. And then, and then, you know, I go, it's G, man. It's G left. He goes, oh, shit, you got old. <laughs> I was Damn. like, man, you're an asshole. Man. Go on. Uh, He's but, a uh, one bird, not two. <laughs> But Michael Michael Kaplan is a, is is a real record guy. I mean, like he's still he's still in the game. All those guys that were in it for the money, you know, and for the glory, are gone, mm. you know. But the real record guys are still around, and Michael Kaplan's one of those one of those guys. Hmm. So um, actually, it was funny. Right before we got on on the line, I got a text from John Tavius Willis, yeah, who's another one of your uh, proteges. Uh, and your artist who you've produced and 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 put his record out right yeah um so i was going to kind of i mean you know just talk about a little more pr production i mean and kind of production versus touring like i mean do you if you could just produce or just tour would you do either or you like doing both or you know i i know you've you've told me like well, what's, what's your take on that? You know, production you know what I would do right now after COVID? 
during this period <laughs> now? Yeah. What I would do now if I could. And I and this has given me a chance to work on. I've been working on a lot of projects now. I worked on um I wrote with uh, Samantha Fish. Uh wrote with uh, uh Joe, Joe Bonamassa for Eric Gales. Wow. Uh, I've been mm-hmm. writing songs for my record. Uh, I've been working with the projects. I've been like, I just start hustling, you know. <laughs> not, not hustling. Just, I'm not hus- calling people and going, say, hey, what's going on? You want to work together? Yeah. Just, yeah. you know, reaching out reaching out the uh, uh, olive branch to like, you want to work? You know, you know, and it's okay. But, and, uh, but, but if I had my druthers about what I would do now, I would have a local gig maybe somewhere one night a week in town. Like now we're records home, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Fu- yeah, it's kind of funny because actually we spoke in the beginning of this whole thing, and and mm-hmm. you said to me, you said, uh, "Gee, what have we been doing?" <laughs> like for the whole like last you know however many years on the road, like running around, like wow, this is great. Yeah, running around and running around everywhere, and I found out I, running around. Why am I running around everywhere? But um. We're hustling to take care of our families. Yep. You know, we're taking care of, we're the breadwinners. We're men, you know. Hmm. We are men. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing that. And so, but I'm, I am just, um, now I'm just, this is a chance for me to like, maybe like turn the curve. And producing records right now, if this was, if this was the 80s and I could produce records, I could probably make some, you know, make some coin, but now my producing records is my labor of love. Because what those big budgets were in the 80s and 90s, most of it was spent on time, you know. Uh, and so right now, both G and G Love and I and any artist, we all have more time than we have money, you know. So we make these records, and I think I try to make a record that sounds like a $300,000 record mm-hmm. for, a, for on a, on a, on a, Local budget. <laughs> and you've, well, and you've got the tech for it, right? I mean, that's what you're, yeah, you're describing you know, what the kids are doing these days. Low, you know, high about, tech about, and high production yeah. values for, yeah. And it's about time and attention to detail. Yep. On every level. Mm-hmm. That takes time. Mm-hmm. They got a saying down south, you know what I'm saying? If you, you know, you can either have it, you can have it, you can have it fast, cheap, or good. <laughs> Pick two. You can't get right. <laughs> You can't get all of them. <laughs> Fast and cheap. <laughs> it won't be good. Good and cheap. <laughs> it's going to take some time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Kev, um, you know, Garrett was uh, bringing me up to speed on some things about you know, the business you're running effectively. Uh, very much a family business. Your wife's really involved. I know y'all did a duet yeah. together. But tell us yeah. about how you, how you run this business with the family. My that's my wife's business. Your wife's business, nice. Her, she has a business. She has a label called Kind of Blue Music, okay. Which we opened up for her to do that. But now she's kind of she's kind of sitting back now. She likes, you know, she got involved in the record and She's going like, uh, this is, I don't know. She you know it's she's got that and that and her label actually like brings in brings in money. She says, oh, I make about like I make a little money every month, you know. Nice. So her company has an income, you know. It's not. And I tell you, it it ain't bad. <laughs> you know, she Good. brings in. But um, I don't know. I just uh, I don't think about business. You know, business kind of clouds my. It, it kind of like 
puts mud in the purity of my creativity in a sense mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of go with the fact because I've always like, um, if you chase money, I don't chase the money. I chase the music. I chase the authenticity. And if I get that right, every time I get that right, I'm, I never have to worry about the money. Hmm. You know, even if it doesn't come from the money, <laughs> from the what I'm working on. Right. You know, it's like the principle of that. All the effort I put in is there. Now, getting my wife, because I would produce a lot more records. But if I if I had to just produce records right now, I'd go broke. You know, because there's not enough money. And when, when after, after after like month three, and I'm in here doing <laughs> my wife's going, what are you doing? How much money are you making on that? I'm not, well, it's got to be right. It ain't about that. So you, you work on the front end and then the back. But like, you it know. It takes care of itself. Over you know, this COVID thing is like that. So but a lot of people don't understand that. Mm. The, you know, the, the thing of working for excellence and, and really having faith. And faith is interactive. It's not like sitting around hoping and wishing with your hands together. Mm -hmm. Faith is doing, is and knowing that that effort is going to create some mm. results. Mm. It's just physics, you know effort will create something. It's impossible for it not to. You know, so, you know it goes, what goes around comes around. Mm -hmm. No good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> <laughs> Punishment doesn't have to be a bad thing. You know? Yeah. So uh, I think um, the fact that G with G, the fact that the G and I still get to do this, because a lot of people that started when we started don't get to do it anymore. You know? They even got big. <laughs> you know, mm. they became big old artists, but still and all, you know, I get to still do this. And at the end of the day, that's what I love doing this, you know. Do it like, so just following up on it, like doing this, like you talk a lot about the process. Um, and to me, when, when we sat down to make my record, you know, say, what's your goal? And I said, well, you know, I want to, I want to uh, get a, Grammy. I want to get nominated for a Grammy. Um, and, you know, I, I know you're a very humble man and, um, and you've won a lot of accolades throughout your career, including five Grammys and um, a lot of awards. Um, and it's been amazing to see. And, um, you know, I, I said to you, like, you know, can you help me with this process? And, um, you know, so, so kind of, I mean, you just, just kind of touched on it, but what are some of your processes, you know? Well, first of all, I would never go for a Grammy. But at the same time, you have to understand for me, I got, how old am I now? 68. I got 40, 50 years worth of like music business churning in the back of my head of experiences with like, you know, you know, really fine producers, really good musicians, good mixers, you know, good technical people, it's churning back there. And when I and when I think about uh, the Grammys, you know, I think about moments. Of, one of my favorite moments on the Grammys is Bonnie Raitt in 1984. Was it 94, 84, something? What year was that? 86 or something, where she won four Grammys, you know, after years of kind of going pretty much, you know, Middle, you know, under the radar, kind of like, and all of a sudden, but everyone knew her. She's always really famous among artists. 
And her moment came. And when I, when I look at that, listen to that Nick of Time record. Oh, man. I listen to that record that was produced by Don Waz. Oh. That was an excellent record, you know? And she had, up to that point, when that record came out and she got those Grammys, she had only sold like about 60,000 records, which was nothing. Ever, like in, in all of <laughs> like, her records? No, no, just in that, that record. Oh, okay. Nick Time has sold about sixty thousand records, hmm. which, which in terms, in terms of, you know, um, those standards in the eighties and nineties, that was that was not great. Right. That was bad. That was yeah. Dropped. Yeah. So she she um, um, got those four Grammys in front of everybody, and all of a sudden everybody knew everybody knew who Bonnie Raitt was, and she took off and became the Bonnie Raitt that she deserved to be. You know, and based on her her efforts and all of her stuff and all of her like uh, philanthropy and, and uh, social, you know, outcries for things like that, all of her the who she is as a person overrode her uh, uh, her musical prowess. You know, even then, so Bonnie became an icon, a legend, iconic legend in that moment. So when I see the Grammys, I'm always inspired by the Grammys. And for years, what I would do, I watch the Grammys every year, but every year I watch the Grammys with my guitar in my hand. I'm sitting there watching them. I'm being inspired by the Grammys. So when I think of a Grammy now, I don't think about my Grammy. I think about who might be watching me get a Grammy, mm. you know, and how might that inspire somebody else. To, you know what I mean? Mm. I was inspired by the Grammys. I was I was inspired to be to really try to be good at what I do, songwriting wise, production wise, as a player. And I watched who won, and uh, I don't know. It's just it's it's, it's just it's for inspiration. And uh, every Grammy I get, especially this last one, I'm shocked when I get. It. I'm shocked to be nominated. It's, it's just nominated. I'm like whoa. And then the Americana Grammy, I was like, really? I was like shocked. I was like. I thought I was in a horror movie or something when I got that Grammy because it was like, they called my name. It was like, what the? You know, it took me about three seconds to hear my name. They said, Kevin Moe. And I just went, oh shit, that was my name. And dealt with that, man. And But, you know, it's like the songs, every detail. A Grammy is like, putting on an Armani suit or something like that. I mean, it's like the one, it's like everything, what's the difference between an Armani suit and a Penny's, J.C. Penny's suit? A thousand bucks? <laughs> and attention <laughs> to detail. <laughs> you know? Attention to detail. And on your record, we did a lot of attention to detail. We didn't compromise mixes. We didn't go, okay, oh, that's good enough. We never did that, you know? And so... That's kind of how you you do it, and and um, that's why I saw a record like Rumors by Fleetwood Mac is such an iconic record because they didn't leave anything to chance. Uh, that record, Red Record in the '70s, cost two million dollars to make. Oh my god! Time they spent the time, they almost wore the tape out <laughs> going around. You know, the tape had holes in it. <laughs> it's like, it's been played so much, you know. Wow. And uh, so that's what you do. You just, and I don't know, successful people do what 
people who aren't successful are not willing to do. You know, you know, no, they say, oh, that's good enough. You know, let's try one more time. One more, let's do it, let's do one more, you know? And that accumulative kind of thing comes. And then next thing you know, you're walking up to get a Grammy and other things, and you might even get a check, who knows? <laughs> you might get asked to do it again. <laughs> so what do you so you might be the chick, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> You mentioned, you know, taking that step further, going farther than perhaps other people are willing to. You know, there's great talent out in the world, but oftentimes they lack work ethic. And obviously, you know, these three fellows right here, right now talking, uh, I think we've got that hustle in common. Where, where, do you, where do you get that drive and that, that motivation and that work ethic? Um, from stories. Like, um, there's a great story about, Quincy Jones is one of my really, it's like a, producer and I listen to his stuff a lot and Steely Dan Steely hmm. Dan Quincy Jones those are for, for making records for soul I'm gonna go to Howlin' Wolf you know what I mean for making great records I'm gonna go to Quincy Jones and Steely Dan you know because those records are flawless you know and so that's the kind of quality I want to have and I still want to be able to like get the rawness of the blues mm-hmm. but not compromise the production value. And when you put that record on, it's just like butter to your ears, you know, mm. just, you know what I mean? It's just gotta mm-hmm. be, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it uh, takes you over. Yeah, it does. And oftentimes, you know, it's just, um, it's truth too, man. I, I think and the, the audience, the public is very smart. The collective public, you know what I mean? The, when it comes to music and art, you can't really fool them. You might be able to fool them for one time and one go around or, you know, hype something up. But if it's not really great, you know, people will forget about it. Mm-hmm. But then you have your Eva Cassidy's of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, Eva Cassidy, some of the artists that was turned down by every label, right. put out her records independently. And when people heard her, I mean, I mean, people would say, look, check this out. When I heard Eva Cassidy, I'm like, who is that? And I went, holy moly. And no, she there was no big thing behind her, but she is a legend. She is iconic. Because what she did is so spectacular. And there's that one guy that believed in her, that the guitar player that recorded her records and did his own and didn't sound expensive. But she was the bee's knees, man. And thank goodness he got her recorded before she passed. You know, otherwise we would never have heard that. You know? Wow. So that's the kind of things I take my cues from. Yeah. Paul Simon going to South Africa and yep. and, and, and playing and... Uh, um, Immersing in it, yeah. You know, just going down there, taking a shot. I'm going to go down there and make this record in South Africa. Wow. You know, you know, and, and just... Uh, I don't know, you know, it's just... Have fun. <laughs> you know, be true to yourself and make your music, work as hard as you can, and whatever you don't have, don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, you know, you're speaking from a musician's perspective, but it just applies so well in any space that you're in, you know, in our world, you know, you work hard, apply that talent and and good things happen. So you mentioned, uh, you know, the public knows the public is smart, you know, at large. And, uh, you know, you're old enough to have have lived through some things, you know, civil rights wise. And now we're at a a point in history where it's, you know, not much has changed, really. But, you know, the, the public, like, as you said, remembers you know, what are your oh, thoughts on, yeah. 
What, what are your thoughts on, on where we're at and, and where we're headed and, and, uh, and just the, the, the movement at the moment? Well, um, I don't know. <laughs> mm. uh, I think we're, I think it's progress. It might look like regression, mm. you know, but I have a feeling there's, there's a lot of lights in there, progress. I think um, there's more in there than we even know to see about, especially like the George Floyds of the world and that whole movement, people getting in the streets. And um, I'm, I'm right, reading a book right now that's recommended to me by a friend called Killing the Black Body, you know? And it's, it's about really uh, the history of African-Americans in America and the slave trade and in detail, you know, uh, interviews of ex-slaves back in the, the people who actually were slaves mm -hmm. and talking about the mental, physical, and spiritual atrocity that was, you know, put on uh, African-Americans. Mm -hmm. But that thing, same, same thing happens around the world for all kinds of different kinds of people. True. You know, but that atrocity, especially the one of taking away your history, taking your name, right. taking your history. I'm a man without a name. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Kevin Moore, that ain't my name. Right. <laughs> you know, that's the that's that's the that's the that's the slave owner named Mitch Moore. That's his name. Right. You know. But my real name is probably more like Kev Moore. Hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's the that's realness wonderful. of me trying to come out. But legally, I mean, in terms of legally, whatever, my name is Kevin Roosevelt Moore. <laughs> right. But that's not my name. I don't even know what my name is, but I know deeper and deeper inside. Right. The fact that I don't have a name, I have to, I have to go find that. And I think we're all struggling as people, especially African-Americans, to find ourselves. Yeah. You know, because when you take the name, take the history... You take your roots away. It's like you got nothing. You're just wavering around. Like you take, you're going to burn the roots out on the tree. That's the first one that falls in the wind. Wind comes by, that tree just falls over because it's got rotten roots. Yeah. You know, you got to get in our roots. It's very easy to easy to kind of, you know. But you know, I just know I got roots. I don't know what they are, but I know I can have deep roots it's going somewhere. And whatever people don't like me, I, I could give a fuck about who don't like me. <laughs> you know, who likes me? I got enough people to like, oh, you need a few people in your neighborhood to like me. As long as your people in your neighborhood don't kill you. <laughs> Everybody out there talking about, like, oh, well, they won't do this for me. They don't want, they don't want me. Like, oh, so fucking what? <laughs> you know? I got a few people that like me, and they like me, and they're very diverse. It's a very diverse crowd I run with. And, and my world's all right, so I know that it's possible for us that to spread around yeah and i think there's way more of that than the other well can, can you talk a little about a bit about protest songs because i, I know that you know you've you've i don't know if you call them protest songs but um you know some of your most recent songs um put a woman in charge uh don't throw it away off your off the oklahoma record and um, the Juice, the title track from my record, which we mm -hmm. co-wrote together, uh, which to me is like the greatest song I've ever had the opportunity to sing uh, <laughs> and feels so important to me to sing. Yeah, can you just talk a little bit about about that, about writing me, these type of songs now? To me, protest is not the word that I like to use. 
about an injustice. Mm. Um, like I got a song on my last record called This Is My Home, you know, where I talk yep. about immigration. You know, it was inspired, it's inspired by those people that came to the border of our country, you know. Lupe and Muhammad. <laughs> yeah, Lupe Muhammad, you know, that came to the border seeking yeah. refuge, mm-hmm. you know, just like people came, you know, to Ellis Island, you know, you know, looking for, you know, from Europe, mm-hmm. you know, seeking refuge in the United States. And those people walked and we knew it. They walked from Central America through Mexico to get there, you know, and make it to the border. And America took their children. You know, it's like, fuck you. You know, that's, you know, so rather than go like start burning stuff down, I just say, well, I'm just going to tell you this story. <laughs> so the first story is Loopy. You know, she's a hardworking girl. You know, talk about Loopy. She's, you know, she just wants to, she sends money back home to her grandma and stuff. And she's, she's probably making some, some shit job, working slightly under under minimum wage and happy to be doing it. And it's probably the best employee in the place, you know. Then there's Mohammed, you know, who comes in and, you know, everybody looks at him like a terrorist, <laughs> you know. And uh, he's just a guy that happens to be, he's Middle Eastern and he's, He's trying to get away from some shit too, you know? Right. And he came here like, you know, people judge him. So I'm a little used a lot, like, you know, people got, got in this tactic cab, people getting, you know, you know, when people got mean, he didn't get mad, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, this, but this is, I'm coming here because this is a lot better than where I came from. I'll take this, <laughs> you know? Right. And then he goes along, then it's la, la, di, da, 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 da. So I try to just shed light. I shed light, you know? on the situation and let people make their own call on it. Mm-hmm. Then Loopy and Muhammad getting married and, you know, and raising their kids and teaching them their history. And that's not the process, you know, teaching them where they came from, where they are now, where they came from, the Latin side, the Middle Eastern side, and embracing that. And they're gonna, they're gonna grow up strong and they're gonna grow up knowing who they are. They're gonna be great people, you know? Then I go, <laughs> So I just tell a story, you know. The story tells everything. And and it's hard for me to even sing. Sometimes I when I get to the the voice about like my people came from Africa. Yeah. I I, I kind of go like I I, I go like <laughs> but I sing it cuz it's very important. I go, my people came here from Africa, from north and you know, to north and south America. And the journey was long. And I don't you don't say you have to say shit. You know, you say the journey was long. You can just see the like, slaves lined up in the bottom of a slave ship, chained, you know, puking, seasick, you know, being brought on something, jumping off the, you know, just one little thing, you know, just say that. The journey was long, you know, and so, and I say, well, so I say to anyone in that song, I basically say, and anyone here that thinks I don't belong here because you took my home, you took my history, you took my name, you took my dignity, you know, and I'm still here, and this is my fucking home. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you brought me here. Fuck you, you brought me. <laughs> here. You know what I mean? <laughs> In a nice way, you know what I mean? But that's what's under it, and it's just saying like, you know, this is where I live. I'm gonna make the best of it. I'm not mad at you. As a matter of fact, thank you. <laughs> you know, so my people came here. I earned it. My people earned it for me, and I'm earning it every day, and hope my kids earn it. So yeah. I'm gonna take the good with the bad. And say, so I like to do it like that, 
and and not get up in people's face because everybody knows, you know, people know, <laughs> you know, and what happened. And uh, and in like in um, Song, Oklahoma, and you remind me what a real protest record it is, but I just shed light. I took on this. And over on Greenwood, Archer and Pine, <laughs> you know, those are not just three streets, you know. That's so that that's the whole. That was Tulsa. You know? Yeah, Tulsa massacre. Mm. Over on Greenwood, Archer and Pine lives in an elevated state of mind, you know. Mm. You know, um, so keep on reaching for the stars, guys. So I say that like, okay, that happened. Let's move on, you know. Keep them because when they go low, we go high. You know, quote Michelle Obama, Obama, and move on. You know, so rather than just to grovel on it and just, you know, I talk about the Native American, you know, Oklahoma, you know, Chickasaws and Outlaws, Rodeo, and, uh, you know, just all, uh, there's a chant in there from Oklahoma University, like, you know, like, O-K-L-O-H-L-O, and like, you know, everything is going our way. It's about, it's about Oklahoma. It's about America. Mm. And, 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 and the Tulsa line is about, those things happen in America and they happen all over the world. Right. So to get angry about it, you know, you know, I just, you know, I'm not going to go into a battle, a race battle with anyone because I don't, I can't change it in terms of history, long history, hundreds, thousands of years. And I'm going to, I might be, I might be on the planet. If I'm lucky, I might be a hundred years. That's a blip in history. Oh yeah. A stitch in time. Yeah, you know, so while I'm here to be trying to change all of human nature, fuck that. I'm going <laughs> you know, to like just really revel in life and revel in what I can do to be a part of the. Yeah, but to that end, yeah, I think you deserve more credit because you're, you're highly influential and you're, you're such a positive person and your music speaks to all of us. So thank, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Under, under, underneath, I'm a thug. <laughs> I'm not gotcha. all that niceness. I'm a thug. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. No, I'm oh. a thug. <laughs> a thug for love. A thug for love? <laughs> and genuine, no less. So, yeah. <laughs> um, social injustice and environmentalism are inextricably linked. Yes. Right? Um, yes. You know, and, and I know that you've got, you've got a song, Don't Throw It Away, or Don't Throw It Away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and there, there's an element of social justice and, and impacts um, the marginalized and we're seeing it right now as well right this this covid is an environmental change factor and Mm -hmm. the people taking the brunt are are mexicans uh, hispanics blacks um what what kind of what what has inspired you on the environmental side well i i'm i'm a i'm kind of a fragile very easily influenced guy from something like this like I, i i take my cues from the world and on plastics, you know, when I'm made aware of something, like I, I chose that that battle to be a part of the plastics pollutions, you know, pollution. But I'm a, I mean, I, I haven't seen a test kit for COVID, but I imagine there was some plastic involved. There probably some plastic involved. With it. Definitely. You know. Yeah. So let's make a million tests of COVID, you know. Plastic is a big issue, huge issue. Mm-hmm. You know, climate change, and 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 it's, uh, we're we're driven by money, you know, and we and um, and in the song, like you know, I talk about did it wrote, wrote it with a uh, Colin Linda we wrote it together, and I say starts out Leo B had a big idea, you know, Leo Bakelin, Belgian guy that, that uh, you know, 
something that would last for many years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. but one day we would all, you know, and so and so it's like I didn't demonize Leo. I didn't demonize anybody. Mm-hmm. And I actually got a call from Leo Bakeland's great granddaughter. Really? I got an email mm-hmm. from her and she thanked me for not demonizing her, her great grandfather. Wow. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, plastic has a lot of great use cases, right? I mean, huh? yeah. But it's just the, the disposable and just throwaway mentality of it. Uh, definitely, it's just abused and, and detrimental. Yeah, thinking about the consequence, when, when, whenever we have a big invention, we always there's always the push to um, uh, monetize it. Sure. You know, and then when we find out that oh, maybe we might have messed up, maybe we should have rethought about those gasoline engines. It's too late. <laughs> You know, like my friend Brand said, we were out there talking. He said, you know, you can't unring the bell. <laughs> That's right. You know, yep. said, once it's gone, it's the horse left the stable. It's hard to go find that horse and get him back in there. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So, you know, there's a lot of, so these, a lot of these problems that we have are long-range problems. We've been talking about the environment since the 60s, since, ever since, since I can remember, like, the effect of oil and pollution and all kind of things. And But, you know, you grow up and, all of a sudden, you got to make a living, and then you got time to think about it. I mean, records made of plastic, you know, CDs, like streaming is actually probably good. I said, well, that's good. No more plastic. Then people say, well, well what about this? Well, do you know how much power it takes on the grid to run all those drives that drive all this? It's like a, it's like a big snowball of technology and stuff that's, ooh, man, it's like, well, it's a big mess. It's a really big mess. Right. So, and you just can't, and you just can't opt out of it all that well, right? It's just, it's bigger you know, than you. You know, you gotta do what you can. I do what yep. I can. Yeah. And um, like you know, I look at uh, what's the Tesla guy's name? Um, what's his name? E- Elon, Elon Musk. Musk. Elon Musk. Okay. He invents the Tesla and he does battery technology. Yay! But then he turns around and goes like, "Let's go to space," you know and find a new, let's make some big rockets and figure yeah. out how to go find a new planet. How about we take care of this one? <laughs> like, yeah, it's just so ingrained. It's like Tesla, yeah, good, but I don't know. That whole find a new planet, maybe this might be one of those planets that we found. <laughs> well, <laughs> we my, might be on it right now. The thing, that bother, the thing that bothers me, the thing that bothers me is that they want to terraform Mars well, Mars is what we don't want the Earth to look like. Mars is why we would have to live yeah. here. Let's just protect <laughs> this one, you know. Like let's just let's stay put and take care of it. But yeah, you know, how about taking care of this? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I was like I, I got my house here and I tear it up. I ruin. I ruin the whole thing. Tear the house down and and then you know ruin all the land and then I move. <laughs> you know, and just <laughs> then just leave it like that. I want to move somewhere else. Well, it'll heal itself, you know, but. Man, it's just, I don't know. We just don't think things through. We're so, so much. we want this so much. We want this. Yeah, too short-sighted. But you only yeah. need so much of that. Yeah. You know? Well, it's a, it's a common theme in a lot of the, the conversations Garrett and I've had with uh, some of our other guests where, you know, there's this, these elements of leadership, elements of, of looking beyond the, the next quarter, you know, and making those numbers. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it's been a, a, such a pleasure catching, catching up with you, Kevin, and learning from you on this call, on this visit. We have a handful of little quick questions for you. All right. It's just kind of not yes or no, but but one or another, okay? Yeah, I appreciate talking to you too, just so you you know. Oh, I could, thank you. This, I could talk about this all day. This is such a great Well, let's topic. do it again. We, we can do it again. 
you got? Hey, hey, hey Kev, before got? a question, I, that that could be a good song. You can't unring the bell. That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. Nope. It sure is. Okay, here we go. Ready? Okay. Uh, baby's got sauce or cold beverage? Oh, baby got sauce. All right. <laughs> and, and, and some of those we know the answers to because you actually talked about them. Howlin' Wolf or Muddy Waters? Howlin' Wolf. Okay Records or Chess Records? Chess. I gotta say, I gotta give a lot of credit I knew you were to, to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and and these, these good ones are, are, are G's, by the way. He knows you really well. Uh, disco or funk? Funk. Take out or cook at home? Ooh, that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> cook at home. Cool. Uh, tour life or home life? Home life. Love to win or hate to lose? Uh, everybody should win. All right. Paper or plastic? Um, appropriate amounts of both. Okay. Uh, moderation. 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 <laughs> say, I want to say paper now, but that's a whole thing too. There's trees, you know, and there's... <laughs> yeah. You know, well, there's renewable forests. Paper or plastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paper, at least you can... It goes, you know, paper. Biodegrades. Paper. I'm, I'll commit to paper. Sounds good. I like it. Uh, mountains or beach? Beach. Okay, and uh, Vans or some old Chucks, Converse? Chucks. All right, cool. Awesome. This was a lot of fun. (laughs) Thank you, Garrett. Always thank you, man. Having such a great time doing these with you. Hey, man, this was a blast. Thanks so much, Kev, man. I love this, man. (laughs) Well, let's do it again. I'm sure uh, we, we can make space for it. Today's episode is brought to you by Workado. Workado is the operating system for today's fast-moving business. Recognized as a leader by Gartner and Forrester, it is the only intelligent automation platform that enables both businesses and IT to integrate their apps and automate even the most mission-critical workflows without compromising security and governance. Workado is trusted by over 6,000 of the world's top brands and fastest-growing innovators. For more information, visit Workado.com. Victor Vargas is our art director and engineer, and I'm Katie Thomas. I produce the Digital Transformationists podcast for Precipio Consulting. Precipio Consulting is a full-service digital transformation consulting firm helping businesses large and small build and scale for what's next with the Atlassian product suite and best-in-class frameworks. More about Precipio Consulting at precipio.com slash podcast. Oh, <laughs>